Courtney. Hey, Sasha. Why don't sneaky ghosts hang around the intensive care unit? I don't know. Why not? Because too many people find them out when they go, I see you! Hey! hey. It's a spoop it's hour. It's spoop hour. Welcome back to Spoop Hour, a paranormal comedy podcast hosted by two Halloweenies. This is Sasha. This is Courtney. And we are coming at you from a snowy, snowy Sunday. Yes. The first significant snowfall in more than 700 days Yay. in the D.C. area. Some of us are very excited. I, I, for one, I made myself some hot chocolate and I went out on our patio and I sat there drinking my hot cocoa. And just, nice. You know, musing for a bit. It was great. Yeah, Jack and I this morning took care of our, like, patio canopy thing. Mm. We dr- oh, yeah. shoveled out our walk and then shoveled out to the uh, to our driveway to the road. Not that we're going anywhere, we just... You like to have it. To acu- it's starting to accumulate more again, yeah. so it's just one of those things that, like, if you don't dig out your car once when it starts snowing, you're not going to want to dig it out when it's all of the snow. Yeah. So... Yeah. When we're done recording, I'm going to go out. I did our backyard this morning because mm-hmm. our back walkway goes to the alley and the alley is where our trash cans are and we need to take yeah. trash out because tomorrow's trash day. So I did just like the back walk and then after we're done recording, I'll do our cars and get just the front stairs. Yeah. The other part of having snow is like my power has been flickering on and off all day. Mm-hmm. So Courtney and I are recording this with my laptop, Hope like fully charged and hopefully the power won't go out yeah but we're doing the the this the video chat over my phone and it is very spotty so it's gonna be one of those kinds of episodes it's, it's gonna be great it's gonna be it's fine. gonna be great if you want other great fine content you can find us on the internet at spoop hour on twitter and instagram you can also email spoop hour at gmail.com to share your thoughts on shoveling snow and ghost stories you've experienced or have happened was- to people you know that was a very good segue. Thank good you. Job. I'm yeah. well practiced. I told you, I sat in the snow and, well, I sat and drank my hot cocoa and now I'm smart, so. There are, lis- we have listener stories today, which is great. We have a follow-up to one from last week because Courtney and I went, we have many questions. Yes. <laughs> and we got another listener story, which is awesome. Yay! Send us yeah. your stories. Yeah. Yep. And then you can also hear us. We're going to be recording some more right after this. Courtney read yet another text by Stephanie Meyer, who needs to be stopped. <sighs> Truly. So Courtney and I will be you don't <laughs> recording even another know. installment. You don't even know of, how much she needs to be stopped. I've now yeah. started reading Midnight Sun, and it is batshit, so I am enjoying Midnight Sun, arguably the most of any Twilight book. But the one I just finished, I possibly hated the most. Which is saying something, because I hated Whoa. all of them. That's... So. Yeah. So, we do have an, another two... For this next text, we have two more entries of it's Courtney true. Reed's Spoop Hour... Uh, not Spoop Hour. <laughs> Courtney Reed's Twilight, so you don't have to. Also, just a little bit of business right up front. It's not scary, so if you have anxiety, take a deep breath. It's okay. Nothing bad is happening. Mm-hmm. Basically, we're going to take a little... I'm calling it the Sasha Aetis, and Sasha hasn't yep. stopped me. So it's going to be called the Sasha Aetis. Yep. <laughs> and basically, we're going to give Sasha a little baby break. And so for the rest of the month of February and the first week in March, you're going to be hearing Spoop Hour as hosted just by me with a cavalcade of guest stars you won't want to miss. So it's going to be fun. Unfortunately, I'm going to miss it <laughs> because it's all these people I really like collaborating with, but I really need yes. the time off because... If y'all really want to know, because I know a lot of you guys care yeah. about us and stuff, on top of me returning to school in person mm-hmm. in February as a teacher, the students will be trickling in starting in February. 
we also have the state writing assessment for juniors. We have the IB oral assessment for seniors. We have an IB written assessment also for seniors. And there's just a lot of other stuff going on at the same time with being like a team lead and just, again, the whole return to school process and all of that. So I looked at my calendar and was like, oh, dear God. <laughs> so I've been stressed about February since like the last week and a half of January. So <laughs> Courtney is very kind and letting me off the hook for a few weeks while I get this shit in order. In short, I'm finally firing yeah. Sasha. And so for the next like yes. five, six weeks, I get to finally live my best self-life without Sasha constantly needing to be fired for just everything. All the reasons. I'll I'll need to earn my spot back, basically. Yeah, so you're only getting your spot back, Missy, when you're well-rested and less stressed. So how about you shape up or you ship the fuck out? No, we love Sasha. We will miss her dearly over the Sasha-itis. Like I said, I am working on securing a bunch of guest hosts, so we're going to have some ghosts over the next couple weeks as possible. Obviously, you know, people have different schedules and stuff. I will do my best to make sure that we stick to the weekly episode, but here and there, we might have to skip a week just if I if I can't find a guest in time. And it's weird to do this podcast by myself. So, yeah, thank you for your flexibility. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. We're going to get Sasha well-rested. We're going to swaddle her in a soft little Sasha-itis. Oh, make me a nice little blanky burrito. I'm going a to nice do that. A nice little Sasha-itis burrito. Sasha is baby. Mm. And we're going to I'm treat baby. Sasha as baby for the next <laughs> five to six weeks. So, thanks for being cool about it. You're my favorite... Oh, I was going to say you're my favorite Courtney. Uh-oh. But I think then that's going to, like, start a war. <laughs> this is why... You're I, the Courtney I've lo- known the longest. Oh, thank you. That I, I truly take pride in that. Of all the Courtneys, you're the one of that's the been Courtneys. around the most. <laughs> you're the one I can't seem to shake. Did anything spooky happen to you this week? Did anything spooky happen to me this week? Um... Oh, shit. I feel like I had something for this, and I've since forgotten it. Do you want me to say mine while you think about it? Did anything... Yeah, yeah, give me some time. Okay. I know... That, well, one of the spookiest things is that we are seeing snow today. Yes, <laughs> I would... I think the spookiest thing. I could not be happier about it. Yeah. So, for me, the spooky thing that happened this week... First of all, I forgot to mention last week, but listener and friend Teresa came up with the couple name for the two cats that live in my house. So, that's Podcat <gasps> Zelda and Benedict, my partner's cat. And they are now hashtag Zenedict. So... <laughs> ship them. We're all doing it. Benedict has made the unwise choice. I mentioned before, he's real dumb. So she'll like hiss and he's like, get closer. Got it. Recently, this has turned into something that I find deeply unsettling where he'll just kind of like swivel his head at an angle and then kind of approach. Like he'll do the serial killer thing. And I hate it. Where like he's just looking and then he'll just like slowly turn his head and I'm like oh I, d- I don't like that I don't Mm-mm. Mm-mm. today he did it while going down the stairs it was upsetting <gasps> I did oh, not like no. it it's blech, blech. and I'm like no wonder she's scared of you I'm scared of you and I'm like 14 of you <laughs> right that <laughs> I've started watching the anime attack on titan oh, which yep. is where yeah you know yeah so I'm on season two mm-hmm. but now that like I am fully aware of how large titans are compared to regular human beings. I sometimes look at my dog and my cat and I'm like, what do you think I am? (laughs) (laughs) Attack on Especially if I'm like walking, even like a little heavy footed Mm -hmm. or maybe even like... I, like, get up suddenly to go, like, get something, and I walk fast. Yeah. The cat, like, sprints, and the dog is like, oh, my God, what's happening, right? So I'm like, do you guys think I'm a Kyojin? Yes, it's like, like you're invading the village. I'm invading the village. And I'm going to kick down the wall. Yeah, and they're, they're very <laughs> frightened. Yeah, like, Zelda doesn't like loud noises, which is understandable, because she's pretty right, small. Right, she's a cat. Yeah. yeah, and, like, you know, it's fine. It's just a creaky house. And Benedict is bigger than her by about four and a half pounds, which is Mm -hmm. significant, you know, when you only weigh 10 pounds, four and a half pounds difference is pretty massive. Yeah. And then he looks at her like a fucking serial killer and like trots towards her and she's like, what the fuck, man? Get away from me. What is happening? Hashtag Team Zenedict. Hold out hope. (laughs) Hold out hope. They'll they'll get used to each other. It's like Mona and Yuna, too. I mean, I think... I still think they don't like each other. Every once in a while, one of them will sneak up on the other and start shit, but... 
but but there's a there's a basic yeah. piece in our household, which is nice. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we're getting there. And like Zelda has figured out the places she can hide when she wants to be like left alone. And mm-hmm. yesterday Zelda went to that space, which is underneath the comforter in the master bedroom. Benedict came in because I was I was doing some yoga Pilates in there because mm-hmm. I'm you know trendy and whatever. And he came in, and I was like, uh-oh. And then he hopped up on the bed, and I was like, uh-oh. Is uh-oh. he going to find out Zelda's secret spot? Because she's going to flip her shit. She's going to hate it. And he literally walked up to her, stepped mm-hmm. on the lump that is Zelda. <gasps> Zelda did not move. She did not make a sound. He just, like, stepped on her and then, like, took his foot off and, like, took a couple steps and then curled up on the other side of the bed. So he's literally – this is how stupid this cat is. He literally <gasps> stepped on Zelda and could not find her. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> or he knew she was there, so he's like, I'm going to wait it out. See, every, no. other th- every other interaction he has had with her tells me that is not the logic that is in his head. Every other interaction oh, with her, he's like... He's just that stupid. He's just that dumb. He's like, weird, the bed is kind of bony here. Oh, well, none of my business. Oh, well, do, do, none do, of do. my business. Just, do, do, do. Like, I took, a, I took a picture of it. That lump is Zelda. And that's oh, my where God, Benedict that's so funny. Up. And he, he literally, like, put his full body weight on it and was like, oh, yeah, Mo- Mona will do this thing, like, if I cover the dog with the blanket mm-hmm. so that the dog cannot see the cat, because the dog arguably is more scared of the cat. The cat is just curious. That's kind of I, the Zelda-Benedict relationship. Zelda's terrified yeah. of him, and he's kind of just curious at this point. Yeah. So I'll cover the cat with a, uh, the dog with a blanket, and then Mona will just kind of slowly walk up, put her paw on the lump that is the dog... The lump will start moving. She'll take her paw off. She'll start smelling the lump. She'll look at me. She'll sniff the lump. The lump will start growling. Uh-oh. And then she'll slowly back off and then sit on the other side of me. And then I'll take the blanket off the dog. And then they're just, like, both peacefully on either side of me. This poor dog this morning, and actually this afternoon, really all day, she does not like snow. She is from Puerto Rico. Oh. This is her first snowfall. She does not like rain. She does not like sleet, and we thought maybe because snow is quiet, yeah. she'll like the snow. She does not like the snow. Well, <laughs> I mean, I have video now of her playing in the snow, and she has decided she does not like it. Okay. <laughs> yep, and you heard it she was very folks. hesitant to go pee outside. Sure. <laughs> she, like, found one grassy, uncover- snow-covered spot and was like, I'm going to pee here. <laughs> it took about ten minutes of me s- sitting outside in a pair of Crocs and a light hoodie. So, I think the spookiest thing also is last weekend, I figure I remembered what it was. Last week at some point, I went to bed early uh-huh. as I usually do. Sure. And Jack came to bed much later, and he heard something fall on our roof. And we have a tree over hanging over our house, so we he assumed at first that it might be like a large tree branch or something. Mm-hmm. But then something started skittering around on our roof. Oh no. And he was like, what is happening? And it was like scratching around and it was moving around and stuff. And he was like, oh God, like what is on our roof? This sounds like really big and it's making a lot of loud noises. What, what's happening? And then he heard a loud thud and then another like scuffle and a raccoon, (gasps) a big, large, as he says, pig sized raccoon. I love him. (laughs) jumped off of our roof onto our woodshed and then off the woodshed into our garden, like our back garden, and then started like skittering around our patio and then zoomed off like in the direction of our, the main part of our backyard. And our security camera on our bedroom patio ran out of batteries. So like there's no video footage of this. It's just Jack in the middle of the night being like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) And it was, and, and then this, the raccoon managed to get out somehow. We, we oh. are fenced in. It probably just climbed. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. But he was like, I've never seen a raccoon so big. And so I was like, oh, it's like Pompoko, the Ghibli movie with the tanuki. <laughs> but we had some people come over the other day to do a roofing estimate. Mm-hmm. And the guy took photos and he was like, it looks like you have a fresh rip in your roof and like stuff is exposed and whatnot. And they're like, did something fall or whatever? And Jack and I had that sudden realization, like, 
fat ass raccoon. Oh, a raccoon fell. fell out of a tree onto our roof and like put a hole in it. So well, we're gonna have to be dealing with that at some point. It's not like a huge hole. It's like not like water's coming in or whatever. Yeah. But it's enough that like they expose the underbelly of the roof. <laughs> so yeah. So that's I guess the spooky thing I that happened it. was that a raccoon destroyed our roof. <laughs> All right. So we've got some listener stories. Yes. So let me share first this. Let's see, I'll share the new listener story, and then I'll share the follow-up story, because the follow-up story is related to what we're talking about today. Yay! Okay, so this first story is from Nora. Listener Nora. Nora. Hello again, Nora. Hey, Nora. I have the right. cryptids on display. They're behind yes. me. Yes! Look, there they are. There they are! I'm, I'm showing them to Sasha. You guys yes, can't see Yes, they're very them. cute. But they're there. <laughs> they're there. So, Nora says that she was reminded of a spooky event from her high school days and decided to share it because she thought we'd get a laugh out of it. And I sure hope we're going to get a laugh out of it. (laughs) So, okay, so this is from Nora. Mm -hmm. So, first, you need to know the Central Experiment Farm. It's a government farm plot in central Ottawa, right in the city, that has tested varieties of wheat and different light spectrums and insect effects on crops, etc., etc., for over 100 years. It has, I think, 15 branches in other provinces oh, and areas. So it's legit that, experiments. Yeah, yeah, it's an experimental farm, yep. So it has f- 15 branches in other provinces and areas that all work together, and it's fucking amazing. But also, it's a functional farm, and much of it is a public attraction and hosts the Agriculture and Food Museum. So that's awesome. Like, uh, that, that's really cool. I like that. As yeah. the grand, uh, granddaughter of farmers, yeah. <laughs> I enjoy that. Yeah. The name was kind of creepy, but then you were like, it's it's legit an experiment. They do experiments on farm stuff there. So flash to 2002, 2003, when my ass gets a summer job shoveling dung and bedding. It was amazing. I loved it so much, but my fam- family hated the smell of me. <laughs> and there are some younger kids doing a summer camp taking care of calves. I was chatting with the older group of kids, 10 to 12 to my 15 years old. And we went on lunch break to the attic of one of the farm buildings, looking for a quiet place away from visitors. The attic to this hundred-year-old barn was creepy, but fun. One day, we noticed a box in the corner, half hidden by a wall that had survived a fire decades ago. We creep over to it and realize it's a freaking coffin. Oh, no. Is empty, but it was a coffin, my dude. Who knows how long it's been up here? Who knows if it was empty when it got put up there? Am I right, zombie fearers? (laughs) We looked at each other, and then... The overture of Phantom the Opera plays through the window at the other end of the barn. Amazing! We all nearly (laughs) fucking died. It was a shit show getting down the old staircase. (laughs) It turns out this barn was backed up against the ornamental gardens of the farm, which can be rented for events. There was a party starting that afternoon, and someone unfolded their Casio keyboard and decided to warm up in the freakiest way possible, exactly as we were discovering an old coffin. I love it. (laughs) We told the random keyboard player about it, and he nearly died laughing at us, which is fair. Yeah, I probably (laughs) would have to. Hope nothing comes close to scaring you to death this week and that you don't find any mysterious coffins. Love, Nora. Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Nora. That's so funny. Especially because we're not really leaving the house right now. It would be a real bummer to find a coffin for either of us, because it means that the coffin is in our house. Yep. (laughs) It would also be a bummer to just hear Phantom of the Opera suddenly playing out of nowhere. Agree to disagree, friend. All I want is for a phantom to haunt my opera. (laughs) Okay. Well, not for me. (laughs) Not that way. Although one of my favorite Sparknotes tweets recently was about, like, when you hole up in your house and wear masks out in public, it's okay. But when I, the Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. It was so funny. Truly. I've never felt closer to the Phantom of the Opera, especially now that I've had shingles on my face because I had the same, like, shingles pattern that is the Phantom of the Opera's, like, burn. So... (sighs) Truly, our souls are connected. It's fine. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. All right. right. So then we have one more story. This is from Nicole, and this is a follow-up to her email last week. All right, so... If you'll remember, Nicole had the really upsetting story about the CCTV 
that showed people hanging, and I hated it. Yeah, so this one, and she talked about, oh, but I know that hospital is, like, totally haunted, and we were like, what? Excuse me? Excuse me? So, so here we go. This is going to be related to what we're talking about today, so that's, so let's, let's get to it. Yay! So from Nicole, I actually worked in the IT department in that hospital. They had server banks in the old morgue in the sub-basement. The part of the building we were in was in the old part, and they've since expanded greatly. While working, you'd see shadows move in the server room, which no one generally was in. Oh, no. In the outer area with printers and our cubicles, papers would get moved around, and again, we'd see more shadows. And there was that feeling of being watched. When working night shift alone, it got really creepy since most lights would be off. Sorry, depending but on no who- shit, Nicole. You're in the fucking morgue. <laughs> well, yeah, and depending on who was on security that night, I'd get the crap scared out of me when they check on me. Oh, God. I've heard of similar stories from other areas of the building, too, along with potential apparitions. Now, pertaining to this week's episode, I was actually saved by a spirit. Driving home from an overnight shift, driving way tired, more tired than I should have, I thought I hit a large dog. Startled and panicked, I stopped and got out to check on the dog, but there was no dog. Once I got back in and settled down enough to drive again, I assumed that I was just tired and seeing things and headed home. When getting back onto the road, I saw a dog going up the hill towards an old Christian nunnery slash women's college. Further down the road, at a pretty blind intersection, there was a bad wreck that the car, uh, where the car behind me had been T-boned, and I'm convinced if I hadn't stopped, that would have been me. When talking to the professor that ran our ghost hunting group, she cheerfully told me that it was the church's grim that saved me. Oh my god. That's amazing. So that's amazing. her spoopy stories. So, so, folklorically, the grim is a dog that hangs out in cemeteries. Yep. That fucking dog. What a good boy. What a good boy, Holy but also... shit. I would have peed my pants. That is 100% my shit, but I would have peed my pants. Yeah. Damn, Nicole. Damn. Oof. You really provided the deets. For that, we thank you. For that, we thank you, but also, I'm going to be, like, ruminating on that one for a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, as I'm falling asleep tonight, I'm going to be like, but then it caused her to get out of the car. So that delayed her. And if it hadn't delayed her, oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. But also, <laughs> your IT department's in a morgue. Also, yeah, like, it makes sense, because servers run really hot, so you want them to be in, like, a cool and, room. And since it's, like, the old part, it was the old morgue, right. it was, like, they had a lot of open space anyway to put a server farm in there. Yeah, that makes sense. But also, yeah. it's a fucking morgue, so... Yep. Yeesh. <laughs> oh, boy, so, I love it. So, our topic this week is... <laughs> spoopy Haunted Hospitals. Yay, we're doing it! Hospitals are creepy AF because it's a lot of, like, life-or-death situations, and a lot of people yep. coming and going, and a lot of people having their last moments, and it's like, of course, if ghosts are going to be a thing, they're going to be a thing in hospitals where all of their energy, like, gets sucked up and battery-charged. Yeah. Tech- and in technical just, terms. <laughs> yeah. In technical terms. Yeah. And it's just, like, really strange. I don't know. Like, like we've talked about other spooky medical shit mm-hmm. before. One that sticks out in my mind always is, like, our spooky twins episode. Yeah. And, like, here and there, we've we've talked, we've touched on it. We yep. just have never done, like, an entire episode on it, which right. is we very interesting. Right, we did an episode on spooky medicine, where we covered, like, the Toxic Lady of Riverside. We covered trepanning and all the, like, poisons that we used to give people to cure them of shit. But, like, somehow, in that discussion, the creepiness of hospitals never came up. Yeah. So... So, all of, oh, I forgot to mention this. My mom has always, like, my mom doesn't like hospitals. She just doesn't like them. And mom, I know you're listening. Is it because they have bad vibes or is it just the smell? Because I know <laughs> the smell is an issue, but email spoopart at gmail.com or call me, your daughter. <laughs> so, all of my spooky hospital stuff comes from Ghosts of America, hauntedplaces.org, Wikipedia, statnews.com, therealwaverlyhills.com, sstimes.com, travelchannel.com, hauntedhistorytrail.com, and ripley's.com. Just a cavalcade of truly reputable Just sources. Just a cavalcade. Yep. All right. So, I am starting with the tuber- tuberculosis sanatorium in Keene, California. 
This comes courtesy of a suggestion from another listener, Drew with the Real Feels podcast. He reached out to us on Twitter to say, quote, If you're looking for more spooky hospitals, you should check out the Tuberculosis Sanitarium in Keene, California. My great-grandmother was housed there while she was sick and ended up dying there. Stories, <gasps> or so I've heard, the records were in the basement. It was here a broken window allowed trespassers, mostly people ghost hunting, would enter and travel up to look for spooky things. So, let's see what those alleged ghost hunters claim they found inside. Yeah, seriously. So, first things first, the sanatorium no longer exists. It was basically rebuilt through a really intense renovation to become the National Chavez Center, which is a monument that served as the headquarters of the United Farm Workers and Cesar Chavez from the 1970s to 1993. So it was actively where the United Farm Workers, like, headquartered. Now it's mostly just a monument to Cesar Chavez and all the great stuff he did for farm workers. Cool. Left over from its sanatorium days, though, because as we all know, you can renovate all you want. The ghosts are not being renovated away. No, they really aren't. They're just going (laughs) to hang out. And a lot of people died there. So... The hospital was first closed in the 1960s, and the locals steered clear after that because it had this very spooky reputation. Like, even when Cesar Chavez was like, this is my headquarters, people were like, bro, it's like, it's like super haunted. Like, dude. Super hauntsvilles. Most commonly, people would report hearing the sounds of ghostly children laughing, which is a real (gasps) fucking bummer, because for the most part, a lot of sanatoriums particularly dealing with TB, children would get TB. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. all right, well, we don't know how to treat this. It's hella contagious. You live here now. Bye-bye. So (sighs) electronic voice phenomena are also frequently recorded, usually saying get out or just plain screaming, which is fun. Visitors sometimes feel like they're being followed by a cold presence and shadows. So if you go, just be aware. One ghost hunter allegedly saw two creatures crouching and crawling towards them before disappearing, and I hate it. So that's fine. And another ghost hunter was confronted by a security guard who was like, hey, you can't be here. And they were like, oh, my bad. And then the guard disappeared. Ah! So anyway, that's the sanatorium in Keene, California. It's now the National Chavez Center. So if you want to go say hey to Cesar Chavez and thank him for all his work and also have the shit scared out of you by some ghosts, check it out. <laughs> check it out. All right. So I have the abandoned Dejarnet Sanitarium in Stanton, Virginia. Yay! This is a building I am familiar with in the sense of I drove past it so many times visiting friends in Stanton, Mm -hmm. going to the American Shakespeare Center when I was in college, just hanging out. Yeah, just like hanging out in Stanton, because Stanton is not far. It's probably another 30-minute drive from where Courtney and I went to college, and it's just this nice little small town um, in Virginia. Yeah, it's really cool. So, really cool building, if you look at it from a distance, when you get up close and look at any photos of the inside, it is terrifying. I have never been up that close to it. I have friends who have. I have friends who have gone inside it. I will say that I also had a college professor who served on the board of this abandoned sanitarium, like, before it closed. This abandoned mental hospital is formerly known as the Dejarnet Sanitarium, and it's basically now languishing, empty, and deteriorating on top of a nice hill in Stanton, Virginia. Cool. It stands out among the more modern buildings that surround it, making it all the more chilling when you look at it, because this is the hospital that was linked to one of the leading advocates for eugenics in Virginia. Oh, no. Yeah. So the DeJarnet Sanitarium was founded in 1932 by Dr. Joseph DeJarnet, who was also the director of the nearby Western State Hospital. That was the sanitarium. The sanitarium part was a private unit for middle-income patients that operated separately from the government-supported state hospital. Gotcha. So DeJarnet was a respected doctor among the white Virginia elite at the time, but his career basically is now defined by his strong support for eugenics and this forced sterilization of the mentally ill or mm-hmm. other he de- deemed defective. Oh. 
hate it. So the whole thing was that Desjarnet felt that sterilization was the only way to prevent integrity of society. Mm. But what's ironic is that he was also part of a larger movement towards more humane mental health treatment. So it was this very strange thing where it's like he wanted to sterilize them so they couldn't reproduce, but he also wanted to make sure that they were taken care of so they could have a better living life, which is a very strange thing. something. But he was bullish on the sterilization part. Sure. He would write poems about the virtues of proper human breeding and became known among his colleagues as Sterilization DeJarnette. That's a catchy nickname. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you mean old sterilization DeJarnette? Fine. (laughs) So, basically, this hospital and DeJarnette studies actually served as the model for forced sterilization laws in at least 12 other states. And if anyone has studied, like, Nazi eugenics, then you will know that Virginia was a model for the Nazis and a lot of American eugenics, again, those like kind of 12 states that support eugenics, the Nazis were like, wow, look at them go. You never want to inspire Nazis to do anything other than like fuck right off into the sun. Yeah. So DeJarnet also commented infamously once that Nazi Germany was beating us at our own game. So like this guy was just... Big, big bad. I hate Um, it so much. Yeah. While it was legal under Virginia law, DeJarnet performed hundreds of forced sterilization at Western State Hospital. Jesus. Again, on top of just people with mental disabilities, it, he also sterilized epileptics, those who were alcoholics, and also those who were promiscuous. Oh, good. So having yeah. too much sex, we're going to sterilize you. Oh. Large percentage of victims were also poor and African Americans or Native Americans. <sighs> Following the atrocities of the Holocaust, attitudes towards eugenic in the U.S. went quickly downhill. Wait, why? Ugh. Why? Ugh. So, it was basically denounced as an inhumane pseudoscience, and Desjarnet's reputation was irreparably tarnished, although actually the process of forced uh, sterilization did continue in Virginia well into the 1970s. Fuck. Yeah. So only like 20 years before you and I were born. Ugh. You know what? I bet that motherfucker was friends with Charles fucking Lindbergh, because he was a fucking eugenicist, and don't get me started on who I think killed the Lindbergh baby, but like... Fucking eugenics, man. Yep. So, here's where the sanitarium goes from being a spooky, shitty place because of forced sterilization into just a spooky place that's just got abandoned eventually. Yeah. So, in 1975, the Jarnet Sanitarium came under the control of the state and was transformed into a children's hospital renamed the Desjarnet Center for Human Development. So, they still kept the name Desjarnet on there, even though that was one stupid motherfucker. Yeah, maybe it's just me, but, like, if my founding dude was a fucking eugenicist who patted Nazis on the back, I would yeet his name into the sun and call it, like... The Sunshine Home for whatever the fuck. Yeah. Like, I'd give and, it a nice new neutral name. And so Please that's and where you. my college professor comes into play. He went to go work for the hospital, like, after the 70s. Right. As a child psychologist and was eventually on the board. And in 1996, the center was relocated to a new facility near Western State Hospital, and the original DeJarnet Sanitarium was shuttered for good. So, when I was in college, I was really surprised to learn that the hospital had only closed in 1996 and was already that fucking haunted. Because when I had this professor, it was in 2012, uh, for one of, for my behavioral, behavioral management class for teaching. Right. And he was like, yeah, I, I worked at DeJarnet. And I was like, huh? That haunted but- building? Like, how, how old are you? And <laughs> I mean, he was an old man, but like, I definitely like could not process that this like big haunted building that all of my friends in college were like, oh, yeah, yeah we're going to go, you know, like ghost hunting or whatever. Yeah. Turns out like he had worked there. Sure. And he was on the board that decided to close it and move it somewhere else. But yeah, the building still stands empty on the hill. There have been tons of plans for its dem- demolition and redevelopment, and none have come to fruition. But I will say that by 2001, 
a bunch of people realized, oh yeah, this guy patted Nazis on the back. Maybe we should yeet him into the sun. So it was renamed the Commonwealth Center for Children and Adolescents Yay! because of that association. They were like, yep, we don't want to be associated with that anymore. You know and what's the bad? Sta- Nazis. Fuck and that also shit. The, the state of Virginia has also publicly apologized for the sterilization program and Yay. has done reparation settlements for Yay. all of their victims. So ultimately... Spooky Building did a lot of really bad shit tangentially related to Nazis in Virginia. Still stands. The photos are bananas of like just how creepy it is. Sure. I wish it would just... I don't necessarily know that I want it torn down because the architecture like makes sense for the town, but it would be nice to see it transformed into something that's not a eugenics hospital. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a good yeah. idea. yeah. It's like pretty I'm, nuts. It's nice to preserve historical shit, but, you know, sometimes yeah. history means eugenic Nazis, so... Yeah. But remember, tearing it down doesn't mean the ghosts go away. No, it sure doesn't. That's one thing we've all learned. <laughs> Are you ready to hear about some less Nazi-y ghosts? Yeah! All right, so I'm staying on the East Coast for all of my hospitals, so we're going to travel over to Louisville, Kentucky, and visit the Waverly Hills Sanatorium. It is super haunted thanks to its time as a hospital during the tuberculosis epidemic in Kentucky, which had a catchy name and I thought I wrote it down. I think they called it the White Plague, something like that, (laughs) because, like, it was, everybody was getting fucking tuberculosis. Yikes. Built in the early 1900s and opened in 1910, the Waverly Hills Sanatorium was designed to hold about 50 tuberculosis patients safely. The key word is safely, because they may be, you know... There were a lot of people with tuberculosis, so we maybe crammed it a little full of people. Yeah. By 1926, tuberculosis was so widespread that the sanatorium built an extension to house up to 500 patients at a time. So it is now 10 times bigger because that is how widespread tuberculosis is. Yeah. Waverly employed only the most cutting edge of treatments. Sounds nice, right? But what was cutting edge at that time? (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. It was the 1900s. Everything was terrible. Cutting edge treatments included balloon implantation to help inflate the lungs and the removal of ribs and muscle to allow for greater lung expansion. Shockingly, this did not cure tuberculosis. I know you're stunned. I Ah. just like balloons didn't work, but they blow up, right? Crazy. Fortunately, Waverly accounted for this outcome because they built a convenient 500-foot-long tunnel to serve as a body chute. Ah! All you need to do is dump that inconvenient corpse in the body chute, and it will whoosh away to waiting trains to get it to be not your problem anymore. And so they did that a lot. That tunnel, for the most part, is why Waverly has been called one of the most haunted locations in the world. Uh Uh-huh. Since the sanatorium closed in 1961, ghost tours are run frequently, so when it's safe to do stuff again. You, me, Louisville, let's go. Yeah. Allegedly, most of the haunting takes place in the body chute, which is understandable because all the dead went through there. Uh Uh-huh. Throughout the grounds, you'll see shadowy figures, hear the sounds of shuffling feet, or sometimes, in most horrible circumstances, things crawling up the body chute. No. Yeah. There's also the ghost of a nurse in room 502. So if you go past the room, you can expect the hair on the back of your neck to stand up, queasy feelings, and your face will flush. So these are all signs that the nurse is there. I just... So... We're living through a pandemic right now. We sure are. And I remember, I mean, I continue to be horrified whenever any hospitals are reporting that, like, they need to get the freezer trucks Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And I just remember, like, seeing all of that on the news, you know, early last spring, but then, like, throughout this entire year. And I'm suddenly very glad that it was freezer trucks and not... not the body a fucking shoot. body shoot. Yeah, freezer trucks feels a little bit more respectful. Than, yeah, because they're know, not just throwing them in the there. Body shoot. Yeah, it's like they're just going to dump this body down the body chute. Like at yeah. least with the freezer trucks, they're still trying to preserve the body and like have integrity so that it can be like buried properly later. Yeah, but, like the body chute was basically dump them down there. We'll stick it on a train, and then the family will deal with it. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. So I that's don't like that. The Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville. All right. So th- I have three very short little things about hospitals in Michigan. My other home away from home that isn't Japan. Michigan. <laughs> so if it's not Okinawa and it's not Virginia, it's Michigan. It's Michigan. The yeah. Sasha story. So there's the Eloise complex in Westland, Michigan. What started as a poorhouse and farm in 1839 gradually expanded to add a psychiatric hospital, a tuberculosis sanatorium, and a county hospital. Oh, what good. is with TB? It's like five in one. Like, it's, uh, And I will say a common thread through a lot of these, particularly the ones that eventually became asylums, is they started as farms that became poorhouses. Yeah. And then it became, well, you know, we've got the gross pores in there. Who else can we throw in that we don't want to think about? Yep. It's terrifying. Yep. So <laughs> it basically just expanded outward. And it, Eloise became a virtual city unto itself, consisting of 76 buildings on a 900-acre property and housing about 10,000 people who are homeless, mentally ill, or in hospital care, along with 2,000 staff members. Wow. I think about that. And, like, my family has 100 acres 900 acres is a lot. Like, I haven't yeah. even seen all 100 acres of my family's farm. Winnie like, the Pooh could be there. Yeah. 900 sick, times. Yeah, that was a sick <laughs> sorry, 100 acre woods joke <laughs> yeah. for those of you listening at home. Yeah. I, so. I know math. Yeah. There would be nine Winnie the Poohs, not 900 <laughs> Winnie the Poohs. <laughs> 900 Winnie the Poohs would be oddly terrifying, but nine seems manageable. What? Which would you rather take on in a fight? 900 <laughs> Winnie the Poohs or one Winnie the Pooh the size of 900 Winnie the Poohs? <laughs> uh, like the old adage, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? One horse-sized duck. I think... I think I would go for the hundred duck-sized horses because they be have pretty, teeth. They do, but like ducks are mean. Like, yeah, they have weird corkscrew dicks, and I don't want any of that at the size that a horse is. Whereas, like a hundred duck-sized horses, horses aren't used to being that small, so I feel like they'd be easily like puntable. So I'd just like yeah. clock through well, like now- twenty of them real fast and then deal with the rest. Now I'm thinking about Attack on Titan, where the Titans will, like, just, like, punt horses or yeet horses oh, as no. weapons against humans. Now I'm now thinking I'm about Hosier, <laughs> because reportedly one of the songs he has, it's in the woods somewhere, is based on a dream he had after someone asked him which he would rather fight, a hundred duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck. And so he had a nightmare that night, and that became the song in the woods somewhere. So this is how our minds are different. <laughs> I'm just, like, staring out the window thinking about horses as weapons. Okay, anyway, so... Will this episode be called Horses as Weapons? We just don't know. We just don't know. So, again, 10,000 people with 2,000 staff members, additionally. So it had many of its own support services, including its own fire station, power plant, and cemetery with numbers on the stones instead of names. Modern-day visitors have said they've encountered mysterious moans, screams, and a spectral woman in white at the asylum. It's always a woman in color. Yeah. A TV reporter who explored the facility returned with shots of glowing lights floating around her and the camera crew. Spooky. Spooky. Eloise went up for sale in 2015, but hasn't found any willing buyers yet. If you ask about the hauntings, Mike Dean, who is handling the sale, will tell you what he's told others. Can't talk to you. Clients rule. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, and that's the Eloise Complex in Westland, Michigan. And I a like place it. that I will like to visit next time I go see my grandma. I love it. Are you ready to bounce back to the East Coast? Yes. Good, because this one's rough. This is the Rolling Hills Asylum in Bethany, New York. In 1827, the Genesee County Poorhouse was established on the grounds of a working farm. See? Starts his farm, goes to poorhouse. Oh, wait. It was sold for $1 in 2018. Ooh. Oh, man, we could have bought it. (laughs) I could have bought it. I have a dollar. (sighs) I have a dollar. I could have bought it, like, a hundred times. That's how many dollars I have. (laughs) So, the goal was to house, and this is directly from their, like, mission statement in 1827. So, Uh strap in, folks. This is the 1800s at their terrible finest. 
So we are looking to house habitual drunkards, lunatics, one who by disease, grief, or accident lost the use of reason, or from old age, sickness, or weakness was so weak of mind as to be incapable of governing or managing their affairs, paupers, a person with no means of income, state paupers, one who is blind, lame, old, or disabled with no income source, or a vagrant. Hark. Yeah. A vagrant. Yeah, big pile of garbage for who they're looking to house. They're basically like anybody that we think is like a little bit yucky because they eventually expanded their mission statement to include unwed mothers, Ah. widows, and Ah. orphans. So just a a real hodgepodge of people with like different needs who like Uh maybe shouldn't all be shoved in the same place because they like need different shit. Yeah. But it's the 1800s, and it's people that we don't want to think exist, so we're just going to shove them all into one house. Cool? Great. Big pile of garbage. To make matters even more sensitive, all residents of the asylum were called inmates. Ah. So to be clear, let's say you're a widow, your husband died at war. This is a thing that husbands did back then. You'd wait for your husband to return from war, and he just straight up wouldn't. Congrats, you're an inmate now. Because we don't want to deal with you. So we're just going to stick you in this weird place. (sighs) The stated goal was to care for the less fortunate, but mostly the purpose the Rolling Hills Asylum served was keeping the less savory away from society writ large. It was intended to serve as kind of a microcosm society. So, like, they just, they stay in their, like, little condensed area, and then they don't come out and mix with the normals. Yeah. There was also a solitary confinement cell frequently used after any kind of incident. Yay! Yay! While it was in use, at least 1,700 people died there. This seems low. That's because they didn't document every death. Ah! So it's estimated that hundreds more probably died while under the care of the asylum. Yeah. The unclaimed dead, so basically most of them, so anybody who died there and either their family wasn't notified or their family was notified but didn't care got buried on the grounds, and this prompted Haunted North America to name it the second most haunted site in the United States. Yikes. It is. Haunted AF. One of the most well-known ghost stories to come out of the asylum involved an inmate named Roy. According to rumors, Roy was seven feet tall and had, quote, protruding facial features, which brought shame and embarrassment to his father, a prominent Uh, banker. Uh... To save the family's reputation, because obviously everyone would look down on them for having a kid who was kind of tall and had an unusual face, Roy was dropped at the asylum when he was 12, and he was left there until his death in 1942, when he was 62. He was there for 50 years. Jesus. During his life, Roy was known for being a kind man who loved opera, and now as a ghost, he is usually spotted wandering the halls and crying. My baby, my seven-foot-tall baby. I know, I just want to give him a hug. That makes me so sad, because, like, he was just tall. And they were like, oh, well, your father's important, so we don't want want you ruining, like, family photos. Think about that. If he was tall now, he would just be, like, in the NBA. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be like him and Yao Ming would, like, hang out at tall people time. It'd be great. Yeah. They'd all be tall together. Yeah, and it'd be great. They'd high five. And Grant. Our, our friend Grant. Yes, our friend Grant. <laughs> My partner's dad is 6'8". Like, they could all yeah. hang out at the Tall Dudes Club. What? Poor Roy. Another well-known ghost of this institution is Emmy Altworth, a.k.a. Nurse Emmy. Nurse Emmy was a cruel woman who abused staff and those under her care alike. So she was... Oh. Not a good person. Big bitch. She also, allegedly, was involved in the dark arts and performed black magic and satanic rituals on the grounds. Oh. Yeah. Her spirit usually turns up in the infirmary wing, and she will mess with anyone foolish enough to get too close. So, like... Oh, my God. Yeah. I couldn't find any reports of, like, what specifically she'd do to you. It was just, like, she's not nice. just fuck you up in general. Yeah, maybe don't go by the infirmary. And then one woman who posted her review on Yelp, and I will read you the review after I show you the picture, she went on a tour of the facility and reportedly heard footsteps behind her. When she turned around to look, nothing was there. When the footsteps began again, she spun around and saw this shape. Oh. Oh, what is... Oh. And she wrote in her Yelp review, this is dated October 19th, 2015, I caught this shadow figure behind me. This place is not fake. 
All right. So then I've got the Northville State <laughs> Hospital in Northville, Michigan. This was a more recent one. This is opened in 1952, and it was one of the more modern mental hospitals in the United States at that time. Northville was an early promoter of art and music for treating patients who could practice playing musical instruments, performing in plays, you know, painting, drawing, doing trade study, and working in hospital facilities. So they were basically, like, also teaching people to basically take care of themselves. Yeah. But as priorities shifted in the 1970s, Northville declined steadily and then ultimately closed in the early 2000s. The abandoned hospital then became a subject of local lore. Sneaking into its abandoned buildings was a rite of passage for young people. I feel like that's very similar to the DeJarnet building. Yeah. It basically, if you have a spooky thing anywhere, teens at any point in time are going to be like, I'm going to go in there. Yeah. Bunny Man Bridge, I'm going to go in there. I'm there. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) So one visitor even made a whimsical tongue-in-cheek video advertising Northville's former glory and welcoming new patients. Another posted a series of photos from inside. So lots of people, you know, just kind of like to ham it up with this this old building. Mm -hmm. But many of the trespassers who have gone looking for ghosts instead found hefty fines and community service. (laughs) Some who have avoided getting caught describe Northville's tunnels, which ran under the hospital to provide heat and water through a system of pipes, as, like, really super haunted. Good. (laughs) People have reported hearing footsteps and voices, along with the sensation of someone breathing on them. Ew, I don't like it, especially in the COVID times. Yeah, especially in the COVID times. Don't breathe on me. I, I can't even, like, watch things in the COVID times that, like, don't have... Like, if it's supposed to be, like, realistic and contemporary and people aren't wearing masks, I'm like, what the fuck? Every time I watch a show now that was filmed in the before times and a character is sick and so coughing, I just think now about, like, how disastrous that would be for them to just, like, because, like, they're casually coughing to play that they're sick. And it's just like, (coughs) and I'm like, cover your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) COVID. It's not fun, but not not fun. fun. We're getting through it. Yep. Are you ready for this next one? This one's pretty rough. I'm going to let you guys know and put a content warning, trigger warning on this. There will be some discussion of child abuse because Ah. this is a particularly rough one. I try to keep it like, I try not to go into gruesome detail, but it is Mm -hmm. not great. So just an FYI, make your safe choices. We will not take it personally. Do what you got to do to feel happy and safe. We love you. Mm -hmm. So... Still sticking to the East Coast, you have the Penhurst Asylum in Chester County, Pennsylvania. As you can probably guess at this point, as part of America's terrible history is a long-standing tradition of mistreating people with mental illnesses, anyone who is anything but a wealthy white man, anybody who's maybe a little bit too loud, anybody whose society <laughs> just doesn't want to think about. America has not done right by them historically. No. Penhurst is a participant in this tradition, now considered to be a memorial to the abuses inflicted on the people who resided there. So, yeah. Uh. Established in 1908 along the Schuylkill River outside Philly, Penhurst Asylum, then known as the Eastern Pennsylvania State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic, because remember, it's the early 1900s and everything is terrible, this has become known as the Shame of Pennsylvania. You can imagine how bad something had to be in the early 1900s to merit attention and censure. That's exactly what happened. Shortly after it opened, people were like, uh, maybe not. Let's dive in. So, those who were condemned to the institution were people with mental or physical disabilities or anyone who, for whatever reason, was cast out of society. More than 10,000 patients, who, of course, were known as inmates because that's what we're dealing with, They were moved through the institution until it was shuttered in 1987. The grounds were intended to be a self-sufficient society with its own power plant and other amenities so that the people who resided there never had to go out into the general public. Mm -hmm. Many of the inmates were children with disabilities who were abandoned by their parents to eventually become wards of the state. Mm. So parents didn't know what to deal with it because we didn't have the knowledge of autism spectrum disorders we had. We didn't mm-hmm. know how to treat people who aren't neurotypical. And so the parents were like, here you go. Come back never. So 
Adding to the problem, Pennhurst was perpetually understaffed and underfunded, so even the handful of doctors and nurses with good intentions didn't have the resources that they needed to actually provide mm-hmm. quality care to the people who were there. Mm-hmm. So some mm-hmm. of the people who worked there genuinely wanted to help, wanted to help these kids have a nice life. But they didn't have the money, they didn't have the ability, like, some of the things they didn't have, they didn't have toilet paper, they didn't uh. have soap frequently, they didn't have shampoo, they didn't have, like, coffee, food a lot of the time. Like, it yeah. was bad. <sighs> Instead, most, again, they called them inmates, were malnourished and mistreated with half-assed treatments that were pretty much just torture. So, let's say you were a scared kid who bit two people. After the mm-hmm. first bite, you would get a warning saying, hey, don't bite people. If you bit the second people, you would now be labeled a biter and your teeth would be pulled in a rusted dentist chair in the tunnels beneath the complex. Ah. Yeah. At best, inmates were left in metal cribs in cramped conditions in the overcrowded institution. In 1912, four years after opening, again, can you imagine how bad it had to be for people in the early 1900s to go, uh, Uh. this is mega fucked. Yeah. A report was published on the poor treatment of individuals housed in the institution. But, because it was the 19-teens and everything was terrible, nothing was done, and the mistreatment continued from abuse to sexual assault to death. Uh. The worst perpetrator of the violence was a man with the eerily on-the-nose name of Dr. Jesse G. Fear. His name is literally <sighs> Fear. And I hate he it. was a colossal asshole. Fear's exploits were uncovered in the infamous Suffer the Little Children, which was an expose by television reporter Bill Baldini in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Baldini did not need to do a lot of digging to uncover Fear's cruelty because Fear was proud of himself. Mm-hmm. Over the course of filming, Fear himself nonchalantly explained his practice of downgrading, where he would punish patients with behavioral issues by placing them in wards designed for individuals with so-called profound mental challenges. Uh. Fear's goal with this was to make the misbehavior feel isolated and ridiculed to shame them into submission. (sighs) Baldini spoke with one of the children labeled a troublemaker and found that downgrading led to developmental regression. And this was something that that motherfucker was proud of. He was like, oh, yeah, I do this because, you know, then they'll fucking calm down. Uh. Fear also liked to punish patients by giving them the, quote, most painful injection that wouldn't do any harm. So his goal was to actively hurt people, but without, like, doing lasting harm. So he's not going to inject them with something that will, like, really cause them damage, but it's going to hurt like hell going in, which is fucking awful. He grinned when he told Baldini about that practice because he was fucking proud of himself. Real piece of shit. That's Just perverse. Just a fun aside, this expose happened right after Fear barely dodged conviction for dispensing a dangerous drug. So he was literally fresh out of being charged with being essentially a medical monster. And uh-huh. this is still, he was such a cocky asshole. He was like, yeah, this is what I do. What of it? Fucking awful. That guy sucks. He sucks. After Baldini broke the story, Fear was suspended without pay for 30 days. If any further repercussions were given, there is no record of them. And I put in my notes, ugh, what an asshole. I hate him so much. God. So much. So, after Baldini's expose, the public outcry was huge. A massive lawsuit followed, asking for $4 million to improve the institution and provide amenities like toilet paper to the residents. Subsequent studies actually secured $16 million in additional funding for the institution, And reforms affected more than just Pennhurst. Baldini's work led to the release of 130,000 institutionalized individuals across the U.S. So this is kind of tricky because this led to other problems. Because while on the one hand, it was a good thing that it shined a spotlight on the inhumane treatment of people who were in asylums, people who were mentally ill, people who had, you know, any kind of mental challenges or developmental disability. It's good that it shined a light on how badly they were being treated. The problem Uh was... A lot of people were released without a plan for how they could continue to access care. Uh, And that's something that we're still seeing repercussions of today. Right. Unfortunately, that meant that a lot of people who previously had access to care and support for their mental illnesses so that they could have the mental health they needed to, like, function, they no longer had that support. So they were just kind of released on their own, and now we have a major homelessness problem. We have a lot of other, like, social repercussions of that. So it's a thorny issue. 
that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ghosts. But, like, remember, support mental health. It's super important. Take care of yourselves. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that long ago that society was a real shit, and we're trying to make it better every day. Anyway, Mm -hmm. ultimately, the parade of lawsuits and the reports of abuse determined that Pennhurst's conditions were, quote, unsanitary, inhumane, and dangerous. It finally closed in 1987. Wow. Unsurprisingly, the years of abuse and deaths led to the building being declared Haunted AF. Yeah. Voices have been heard saying, we're upset, go away, get out, and why did you come here? Which are all fair questions. Fair. Sometimes the sounds of ghostly vomiting echo from empty rooms. The spirit of a little girl roams the halls, and the boiler room is the stomping grounds of a ghost called the King. When he was alive, the king was a maintenance worker in the 1940s. He was generally sick, just like physically he had some sort of illness. Sure. And he was not a nice man. He was generally pretty mean to patients. You'll recognize that the king is present by the smell of cigar smoke, and he also gets handsy with ladies. Ah. He's also an asshole, so he'll pull hair, he'll shove you, and he will sometimes laugh creepily, which is a real bummer, and I hate it. Great. There's also a male voice heard on the main floors who will say, I'm scared. And I put in my notes, can you blame him? Yeah. So that's that's Penhurst. And the other thing about Penhurst, to this day, they do a spooky haunted house there. Except the theme of the haunted house is, ooh, spooky asylum. So it's like a bunch of people in straight jackets and, ooh, so scary. Be afraid of people with mental illnesses. And it's it's gross and stigmatizing. That's not how it is. People with mental illnesses are fine. We're people. It's 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 cool. Don't be dicks. Yep. So anyway. I've got this just one more. This one's a little bit nicer, I guess. <laughs> but still just just a, still a little bit haunted. Yeah. So it's the Traverse City State Hospital at Grand Traverse Commons. So this was originally developed as the Northern Michigan Asylum in 1885, a psychiatric hospital that was in operation for over 100 years and closed in 1989. Basically, it was this be- big, beautiful, Victorian Italiante styled asylum. It served 39 counties, including all of the Upper Peninsula, and in the 1890s, 90s, they even added standalone cottages to continue to serve the increasing patient population, especially those of, who could like, kind of take care of themselves but still needed some care. Mm. The grounds were split by men and women, and then also separated by c- severity of condition, age, and illnesses. They had ho- basically hospitals within the hospital to help patients who also needed to have surgery or have contagious diseases. Mm. So basically, it was this giant hospital, but there, and, and sanitarium and everything, their big belief, though, from their founding medical superintendent, James Decker Munson, he was in the moral treatment movement, which was at the time very revolutionary. His belief, like central belief was beauty is therapy, and that if patients were surrounded by a beautiful environment from architecture to campus grounds, their emotional and mental state would be uplifted. Oh, that's and he nice. made an effort to ensure that patients felt at home rather than trapped in an unfamiliar place. Use of physical restraints was forbidden unless there was like an extreme situation. Meals at the hospital were served in dining rooms on fine china and had like white linen tablecloths. They had fresh flowers and plants decorating all of the areas and lots of artwork and inspirational things all over. And they had lots of uh, windows so that there was always a lot of natural light and made sure that every patient had the opportunity to enjoy a view of this beautiful sprawling campus even if they weren't they didn't have like privileges to leave the building or walk the grounds alone that they could at least like enjoy the view so it was built as this like sort of beautiful ground for the patients to sort of heal themselves that's nice fast forward to more recently Uh and the building is now part of an area that has been redeveloped as the village of grand traverse commons where you can find walkways expensive lawns acres of uh, preserved land there's like shopping and homes and all this stuff it's like uh, they have farmers markets it's kind of like when you think about workhouse art center that it's been it's been changed from one thing that historically might be a little bit spooky to something that might be a little bit more like 
like friendly and for the people. The original structures are there and they're believed to be haunted. When the certain buildings that are not in use uh, have their electricity cut, you can still see lights flickering and there's also unexplained voices that have been heard at weird times in different parts of the little village area now. So seemed like it was a generally nice place to be compared to a lot of other sanitariums. Yeah. But still, still a haunted. little bit haunted. <laughs> yep. Seems nice. Still haunted. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's that's been our spoop hour on spooky hospitals. Turns yep. out hospitals are very spooky. Yep. So thanks for listening. Hang in there. Hang in there. Yeah. Take a sashiatus of your very own if you need one. Like, yep. we here at Spoop Hour are proud to tell you, take care of your mental health. Maybe you take yep. a nap. Maybe and you your physical some, health. Yeah. Mental health, physical health. You know, it's all connected. We yep. care about your whole health as your favorite podcast. And if we're not your favorite podcast, we still care about your whole health. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to make a joke, and then I was like, no, I don't want to make that joke. We still care. So make sure you're drinking enough water. Make sure you're washing your hands. Wear your masks. Mm -hmm. You know, don't go out in public if you can at all avoid it. If you are going out in public, mask up. Wash your hands. Don't breathe on people. Yeah, double mask if you can. Good times. Hang in there. We're going to bid Sasha temporary I'll adieu. I'll see you all in March. We'll see you on the flippity flip. So Bye-bye. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. Do you like your history haunted? Then you'll love Macabre London, a podcast hosted by me, Nikki Druce. Every fortnight, we uncover one of the forgotten stories of London's bloody past and get to the bottom of some more well-known gruesome tales. We've covered witchcraft in the form of the last witch trial held in World War II, found out what it was like to be a hangman in the Victorian times, and even dipped our toe into the paranormal by uncovering what really happened at the infamous Enfield haunting. So if you're interested in learning the gory, spooky and eerie history of the UK's capital city, then check out the show. You can find us on the Apple Podcasts app, Acast and all other podcast providers by searching for Macabre London. That's M-A- C-A-B-R-E London.